It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Barry Dump. He is the founder of Barry Dump Coaching and author of an interesting book called The Quotable Coach, Daily Nuggets of Practical Wisdom. Barry, welcome to Accelerate. Thanks for having me, Andy. So please take a minute, sir, fill out that sketchy introduction I had. Uh, tell us about yourself and how you got your start in business. Well, you know, uh, my first uh, career was as an educator. So I was a teacher at the Philadelphia Public School System, and I come from a family of teachers who just simply love to learn. So I simply did it my way, which was to become a science teacher. So I had some very influential uh, professors and teachers along the way that inspired me to both love to learn and also help other people. Uh, I did that for two years in the Philadelphia public school system, and uh, I transitioned into the pharmaceutical industry, which is where I developed uh, my uh, sales and marketing efforts. So I worked for a company called the Upjohn Company, sure. which was which was based in Kalamazoo, Michigan. And I had about six or seven jobs with Upjohn in sales and marketing and advertising and product management for a 12 and a half year period. Uh, in 1992... So before we move on, what were some of the products you were selling? Well, we were selling things like Motrin and Cordaid and Unicap Vitamins and Kopectate and uh, drugs for diabetes, drugs for infections, uh, things for acne. Uh, even Rogaine was one of our products oh, yeah. for yeah. hair growth. So, so, uh, so um, you were never tempted to use it? Well, unfortunately, I was the poster child for before because uh, uh, I lost my hair at the ripe old age of 23, 24 years old. Wow. And that, that was way after there was anything to keep. <laughs> So, uh, Upjohn, now they, I'm trying to remember, have they, did they get consolidated with somebody? Absolutely. Uh, you know, just uh, when I took a buyout in 1992, uh, they merged with a company called Pharmacia. And not too long after that, they became part of Pfizer, which is a couple hundred billion dollar sure. company based on the East Coast. Right. Uh, 1992 is a pivotal year for me because I was inspired by the Olympic Games in Barcelona to pursue my coaching career. Uh, at the time, uh, they did a little documentary on the Olympic Village, and it turns out there was about 5,000 athletes and 2,000 coaches, and I figured if those athletes were, were pursuing gold medals, why not bring this idea of coaching to the business world? And that was uh, an epiphany that started roughly 24 years ago, and I've been a, a coach for 24 years. Huh. So you work with a lot of entrepreneurs and service providers. I mean, people who don't um, necessarily have support systems, let's say, with you know within organizations. Um, and yet, it's funny. You know, we're we're. It seems like there's a lot of of literature being written these days about uh, the growing awareness of the need for managers to be coaches. So why does this seem to be? <laughs> you know, why is this epiphany for many of these people seem to be happening now? And it, it to me, it seems like. Hasn't coaching always been an integral part of managing? That's a, that's a really great point. When, when I was uh, starting my career, uh, my uh, manager at the time was very coach-like. 
And I'm 59 years old. And back then, it was really important to groom and develop and bring out the best of your people. And at the same time, uh, the management theory of the of the time was a little bit more, uh, you know, that theory X, theory Y, and a little bit more of a taskmaster approach, a little bit more of and how do I get my people to do what I want them to do? MBO, now, management by objectives. Yeah. So uh, with, with the younger generations, Generation X and Y and the new millennials and so on, you know, those people will simply not tolerate organizational cultures that are top-down and a little bit more aggressive in their approach. So a coaching approach, which is somewhat of an inside-out approach, which facilitates bringing forth and bringing out of people their very best, is far more engaging, far more empowering, and that seems to be the way things are going. So, you know, even in the automotive sectors, that old school of top-down is not working anymore. And here in Detroit, you know, new management theory and a far more empowering culture is the way things are headed uh, for the better. So if you were to break that down then, so what's the difference between managing and coaching? Well, the, the idea of management is simply this idea of it's kind of the tool that produces results. We can manage old school, like managing people's behavior. But on the other hand, if we manage people's promises, so what that means is basically leadership is a precursor for empowered management. And if we align on our future and we commit to being in action to support that future, this idea of coaching supports people in pursuing both an authentic journey for themselves as well as an authentic journey and accomplishment for the organizations that they work for. Okay. So, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about that. It's, it's, there's a lot to absorb there. So, again, if you had to really summarize, so management versus coaching. Coaching, you're talking about um, so the, if you look at the Olympic model of, sure. of coaching, you know, the coach works and partners with that athlete to bring forth and bring out of them their fullest potential. So a good portion of that engagement is this inside out fulfilling the possibility of that athlete. Well, so let's, let's talk about that inside out. So what do you mean by inside out? Well, you know, discovering your strength, expanding on those strengths, being more self-aware, uh, you know, exercising and stretching and going beyond based upon what you're committed to and so on. You now, realizing a level of potential that lies within us that is somewhat uh, kind of hidden for many of us. And it, that's a very engaging and exciting place to be. So really good coaches, you know, bring forth and bring out of people their fullest potential in a very authentic and genuine way. And that's generally regarding as, as a very enjoyable process. Management uh, is this idea of, you know, in a coaching relationship, people are self-managing. In other words, they promise to be in action to fulfill and pursue a, a future that they're committed to. So in many ways, they're self-managing. They promise themselves what they're going to do and what they intend to achieve. But they're empowered to make those promises because they fundamentally are leading themselves to the future that they desire, mm -hmm. as opposed to old school management is I have an objective, I know where I want you to go, and my job is to get you to go where I want you to go, whether you really want to or perhaps not so much. So at the end of the day, and I know this is a little simplified because I'll, I'll follow up with another question. So at the end of the day, it's really become a difference between coaching or helping somebody achieve the goals they set, management, 
you're helping people achieve the goals you set. I would say that's pretty accurate. Uh, the key, though, organizational uh, effectiveness depends on aligning the personal initiatives and the personal focus with the organization. So connecting who you are with what you do along with the organizational culture is very critical for job fulfillment and satisfaction. Right. So that then was the follow-up question I had is then how do you, how then do you align people's individual goals and aspirations that you coach them to achieve, to bring out their potential to achieve with the organizational goals? Well, you know, that's a complicated question, but to simplify it to some degree, you know, many, many years ago, uh, Jim Collins wrote mm-hmm. a book called Good to Great. Right. But prior to that, he wrote a book called Built to Last. Right. And Built to Last was about vision and value-based organizations. And what they found was that vision and value-based organizations outperform standard companies in their same category by a factor of 14-fold based upon stock price. Well, vision and value, just to define that for the people listening. Well, uh, people's values, let's say their values would include honesty and integrity and hard work and loyalty and doing your best and uh, respect and dignity and courage, things of that sort. And these were these were values that the organization put up a, a priority on. Yeah. So you know when when people fit, when people's vision and values connect with the organization's missions and purposes, they see that work can be an expression of who they are, and they tend to be more engaged and more fulfilled by being part of that community. So making a connection between who you are and what you do and making that connection within the organizations that we spend so much of our times in usually has a a very empowered and engaged uh, team of organizational members as well as an organization that's pretty unstoppable because of that level of engagement. So of the company, and this is sort of an interesting question not to undercut a point you had made, but so of the uh, companies that Collins profiled in Built to Last, how many of those have lasted? Yeah, that's really a good question because things have changed. When he did that research, uh, subsequently he's kind of debunked that a little bit. But the research on those companies were companies that were in business for over 50 years. And yet at, at, at this time and in our society, There's a lot of disruptive forces that are having some of those companies not necessarily be those ones that have lasted even to today. Right. So, go ahead. Well, I was just wondering. I mean, so at some point, disruption in some form, whether it was you know technological disruption, market disruption, is that um, yeah? How did the the vision and values help them sustain themselves, or in some cases, maybe it didn't, or or did it did it always sort of help them? Well, that's a good question. You'd have to ask Jim Collins about his research, uh, but I could hypothesize. Sure. Uh, my sense is that uh, at some point in time, uh, individual visions and values and commitments from the rank and file somehow got disconnected at some point in time from the organization and visions and missions and goals. And that is a, a recipe for things to start kind of crumbling and falling apart. Uh, And unfortunately, when uh, we live in a society where the market and the stock market in particular puts considerable pressure uh, on organizations to perform, uh, you know, very, very uh, quickly and very, very dramatically, 
It causes people to make choices and decisions that sometimes don't always fit with their long-term vision and values and can undermine their long-term success. Yeah, it sort of raises a question is, is, you know, can any company afford, a public company, over afford over any period of time to really be driven by that? I mean, you could be the case of, let's say, Apple, perhaps, uh, where there's certain sense that they don't, you know, they don't manage to the quarterly, the quarterly uh, report as much as other companies do. But yeah, it seems like it's a, it's a tough challenge. You bet. You know, organizational culture and engagement of employees is always a challenge. But my own experience is making sure there is a connection between that individual and that organization from a sense of values and beliefs and operating practices and simply the behaviors that people exemplify in their day-to-day efforts is very, very important to get the very best uh, through the individual and collective efforts of everybody. So how do managers sort of achieve this balance? Well, you know, depending upon the size of their department or their division, I, I think it, it begins with relationships. You know, quality relationships are the foundation for quality results. And uh, knowing who people are and having a sense of what they value and what they believe and what's important to them those are the drivers uh, of us as, as human beings. Uh, you know, Seth Godin would basically say, you know, we're not a machine anymore. This is not about gears and widgets and so on. Human beings have heart and flesh and blood and souls and so on. And if we don't connect with people at that level, uh, we don't get their very best. And they simply live for the weekend or live for some day and don't have that level of engagement. And perhaps that's why so much, so many people are going through a free agency or through an entrepreneurial type of uh, explosion these days to really look for that fulfillment and that self-expression that seems to have been lost uh, in past decades. Well, it's a, <laughs> well, that's an interesting point because, I mean, that certainly I think is part of the reason people perhaps stay with with the entrepreneurial, you know, sp- phase as you talked about it but it seems like a lot of it's sort of driven by the fact that you know companies continue to want to outsource as much of the work as they can rather than bring on full-time employees yeah that's that's very much a part of the equation you know the challenge is you know we want as as individual employees to be as valuable and as impactful uh as we'd like to be so whether we're a free agent and people pick us up because of our abilities to contribute and create value or we simply become part of that organization because we're one of those high potential keepers uh, that's still incredibly important uh, in terms of uh, an individual success. Yeah, well, I think ironically what's happening is that, that, and I think this is you know not backed by science at all, it's just based on my exposure to you know hundreds and thousands of people through this podcast and my work, is that, that yeah, a lot of people forced into the quote-unquote gig economy um, but and sort of unwillingly, but once they've experienced it, that there's a higher fraction of those than perhaps thought originally that, yeah, they really don't want to go back to the way it was before. Well, that's a good point. You know, I, I think uh, a big overriding question that people are looking at more and more each day is, you know, what is my life all about? And how will I measure my life is uh, a book that was written in 2012. 
Mm-hmm. And I think people are really looking at that idea of you know, family and balance and making a difference and impact and learning and growth and self-actualization far more than ever before. You know, it used to be 35 years, get your gold watch and move on to uh, a lot of golf in Florida or something like that. And now people are looking at how they spend their time, who they spend it with, what they spend it doing, and job satisfaction and job fulfillment and having their efforts and their work make a huge difference is critical for people uh, of all generations. Yeah, well, I think we're seeing that. In the, the, you know, people are working longer. Uh, you know, that's one of the issues that, that you know, we talk about relative to uh, the collision of, of the boomers and the Gen X and the millennials in the workforce is that, um, you know, the boomers aren't disappearing the way that past previous generations did when they hit 60 years old or 65 years old. Well, you know, this, you know, I guess 60 is the new 70 and 70 is the new 80. And, and my father just turned 90 years old and he's still pretty damn engaged in uh, his efforts and his learning and his growth. Uh, so he's not finished yet. So he works out every day, and he's trying to keep his mind active and so on, and he engages in uh, brain puzzles and all kinds of other things. And I think that engagement in life is very important to longevity and satisfaction. Yeah. Well, I think my point was in the economy is that you know the boomers aren't disappearing out of the, the workforce. Um and you know, to your point, is you know, 60, 60 maybe the new fifty, you know, going the other direction, right? Is that you know, people that previously you had thought, even in, whether it's there as employees or as uh, you know, part of the, the quote unquote gig economy, is is you know, people are going through career reinventions at fifty five, sixty, and so on that you know are really extending their place in the market for you know, fifteen, twenty years. Well, I I tend to think that's pretty uh, important from the standpoint of we don't want to lose what what sometimes is referred to as deep smarts. You know, the the baby boom generations and even people beyond that have a considerable amount of wisdom to share if they can operate and collaborate with other generations uh, together as opposed to, you know, just putting people out to pasture. Uh, the automotive industry lost a lot of well-seasoned and very bright people uh, when people moved on and took buyouts and so on, and and they weren't necessarily the better for it. Yeah, though in some cases you could argue that some of those people left were those that helped create the issue in the first place. But um, so I want to talk about your your book, uh, the Quotable Coach, because I I really enjoyed reading it, and you know to me it's it's. I don't know, maybe you tell us why you wrote it. I mean, to me, I saw it as a motivational, sort of inspirational um, book that you know people could pick up and find something in it to help them, you know, confront a challenge, overcome an issue in their lives, and so on. Sure. Uh, well, I, I actually wrote the book about uh, started writing my blog, I should say, about six years ago, and. Uh, the, the purpose of writing the blog was I often use my quotes that make a particular point to cement a lesson in, in a coaching session. So I might say, when patterns are broken, new worlds will emerge. And virtually every one of my clients wants a new professional and personal world to emerge, and they need to be open and receptive to doing things in new and different ways. So I see quotes literally as a, as a nugget of wisdom. 
The challenge that I saw in the marketplace is that people simply send those quotes around and just leave it at that. And I thought perhaps interpreting and digging in and exploring or perhaps telling a story about that quote and then giving the reader a, a way to apply that through an exercise or a question would be a way to make coaching far more available to a larger audience. So as a reasonably busy coach, I might work with 20 to 30 clients in a given week. And yet I do believe that coaching is a support structure to help people be successful you know, throughout the world. So the idea of the blog was to make it available for people who may not be able to actually afford or engage a coach on a one-on-one -on -one basis. And we've been fortunate, you know, we have about 7,000 to 8,000 web visitors. We have uh, over 1,800 uh, daily subscribers all around the world. And they get their little nugget in the morning and they get to apply that in their world, you know, for free. So the idea was to make a bigger dent in the universe to bring coaching to more and more people and so on. The book is simply a, a year supply. So there's 365 quotes and commentaries and exercise. Uh, my own experience of blogging and reading blogs is you got to get to the point pretty quickly. So the nature of the quotable coach is most post can be read in well under 60 seconds and many in 30 seconds. So that's about all the time that in our time-starved world that sometimes people will give you. So uh, we write it Monday through Friday, and it's been up and going for about six years. Yeah, I'd really that's the support. I really like it, and. Uh, the thing that really sort of strikes me, is, especially going through the book, is that, uh, gosh, you know, the, the human experience hasn't really changed a lot <laughs> over the last several thousand years. <laughs> and, and I think that's something that's really important for people really to understand is that, you know, we tend to think that, you know, the, our experience in this world, given you know, the influences, and it's so different than, you know, certainly any other world that, or any other point in time that's preceded it. But the fact is, you know, as humans, our reactions to it are are are, are the same. You know, we still have the sort of the same worries, same concerns, and and so on. Um, and I thought that really comes out in a lot of the the quotes you have. And I think that's really a, an important lesson for for people to learn is that that um, yeah, we've we've been through this. There's people that can offer wisdom and advice uh, that can help you. You know, uh, whether it's Buddha or Gandhi or Mother Teresa or Albert Einstein or William Shakespeare or Socrates or Plato, like you said, you know, all of these people have been, you know, human beings living on this planet at different times. And what we think about and, and our ability to be self-aware is a critical component to, uh, you know, fulfillment and happiness. And I, I think... Uh, the nature of this book is it makes it far more intentional and far more accessible for people to tap into that that universal humanity that, as you said, has been going on for thousands of years and realize that other people looked up at the stars, you know, thousands of years ago and thought about, you know, what's this all about and what's important and so on. So bringing those back uh, to a contemporary venue of, of blogging and a book just seemed like a, a really good idea that was uh, digestible by people in our rush around uh, helter skelter world where people are so busy. Okay, well let's let's run through some of these because I've got a number that I picked out that I, that I liked. Um, and 
Yeah, because this sort of comes from both a personal aspect, comes from a sales aspect, uh, you know, just career aspect in general. So the first one that I liked, and a couple that were early in the book, uh, one that says, quote, you're more likely to act yourself into feeling than feel yourself into action. That's from Jerome Bruner, who's an American psychologist. Why'd you choose that one? Well, you know, uh, this whole idea of motivation and movement and momentum. So, you know, uh, it's kind of like that person who wants to stay in bed and uh, not go to the gym or not work out. There's something to be said, though, when you're in action, when you're moving, that seems to generate a level of energy that is easier to continue. So something in motion stays in motion. Something that stops takes a lot of energy and so on. And feelings are connected with, uh, with uh, uh, movement and momentum, so to speak. So simply getting in action, starting something, putting that first step out there allows the second step to be that much easier. Well, and I think that for me, one of the, the key things about this is really this whole issue about motivation. I know motivation, I was talking to somebody about this on a previous guest on a different show, is, is that um, you know, people confuse motivation with inspiration. And they think that they can be externally motivated where really motivation has to come from within. Absolutely. And, and I think that this, is, this really speaks to that, is that you, know, you have to act and then you'll feel motivated <laughs> and not uh, that somebody's going to motivate you to take action. So I like that one. So another one that uh, somewhat along the same lines and a couple of these that are, you had in here that really speak to me because it's one of the issues I, I see so often with uh, certainly in sales. And this is uh, from James Allen, English philosopher, wrote this you know, well over 100 years ago that, quote, people are anxious to improve their circumstances, but they're unwilling to improve themselves. They therefore remain bound or stuck, if you will. So, I mean, to me, that's, that's such an important one is, you know, people think about wanting to be better, but they don't take the steps to do it and to improve themselves. And I see this uh, all the time in sales is, you know, people just don't invest in themselves. Yeah, I would agree completely with that as well. You know, that phrase, wherever you go, there you are. But there you are with your inner voice or your inner world or your mental models or your paradigms or your beliefs. And they color your world. And, uh, you know, the real question for me is, you know, we can be very, very self-determining in many ways versus being a victim of our world. If we want something new and different to happen, we have a lot more influence and control than we probably think. Well, we, have and, abs- uh, we probably have absolute control over it. Absolutely. And again, you know, th- there's lots of examples where people are in the blame game and pointing to other people why their lot in life isn't uh, what they want it to be. Yeah. No, I thought that was a good one. And again, you know, think about this. It was written, you know, 120 plus years ago. Um, another one written comes from even longer ago. And this we talked about sort of this sort of eternal human condition. Uh, written by uh, Seneca the Younger, who was a what they call a Stoic philosopher back around the zero uh, A.D. and a little bit before, which was his quote: "Don't stumble over something behind you." Well, you know this idea of you know where do we live? You know, many people live somewhat in the past with thoughts of regret or what happened. And those past-based events or experiences or feelings or thoughts color their world in the moment. Other people live in the present, which is uh, what a lot of people would say is the place to be. And then uh, thirdly, some people live too far into the future 
where everything is a pipe dream and so on. So the real question is, if you could do anything about your past, if you could undo it, if you could unblow up a bomb, that would be a great trick. But unfortunately, we cannot. The real question is, how do we reconcile things that have occurred in the past and actually move on to be present in the moment and step into our future? Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, so many people held back. And I know someone that's uh, fairly close to that, yeah, just stuck in the cycle of sort of self-recrimination about things that, that happened before that's preventing him from moving forward. And uh, yeah, that one really, really spoke to me. So another one I really enjoyed was from Goethe, uh, another 19th century author, which is, quote, death is nature's advice to get plenty of life. Well, you know, uh, if you actually do the numbers, and if you were, let's say, 83, 84 years old and count up the number of days, it's somewhere around 30,000 days. Mm-hmm. And if you look up the number of months, it's probably 4,000 months. And if you really get down to, you know, and so on, it's like, well, it's finite. Uh, one of the, the quotes or phrases I like is, life is like a toilet paper roll. The more you get into it, the faster it appears to spin. <laughs> So, you know, as you interact with people at different points in time, when you're young, you think you have an unlimited amount of time. And then we become more and more cautious about how we spend our time, who we spend it with, and we're not so willing to waste it. Now, a toilet paper roll has uh, lots of sheets of paper on it. And if you had a thousand sheets, you'd be careful how many you would use on a shitty job or a shitty relationship, you'll mm-hmm. excuse my uh, language. No, it's a good way to tie the, tie the metaphor together. There you go. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I uh, yeah, life, life is short. Yeah, you want to make the investment now, you know, take the action now that help you live it, live it to the fullest and get the, the most out of it. Uh, which sort of led to the next one, like, which is from Ralph Waldo Emerson, who I quote frequently in the show. He's one of my great sources of, of great, uh, inspirational quotes and his wasn't speaks specifically to what you do which is our chief want in life is someone who will make us do what we can you know uh i happen to be a parent of a 31 year old son and a 29 year old daughter and i don't know any parent who isn't highly committed to the growth and the development and happiness and success of their children Mm -hmm. it's where we really fundamentally take a stand you know, we'd even give our lives for our children. But that ability to take a stand for other people is a remarkably powerful place. And I think the coaching profession is a profession where we can take a stand for many people, many people in our communities, many people in our organizations. And having a person stand for our greatness, our potential, our possibility is a remarkable thing. And when we do that, we find courage and capacities and strengths within ourselves that can surprise ourselves and contribute to the world. Exactly. Exactly. So another one, moving on, was, um, I like this one about, uh, this was from an anonymous or unknown source, was, if you chase two rabbits, both will escape. Which, to me, was about the value of focus, right? You have to focus on what is important and you have to make choices. You have to prioritize. Absolutely. 
You know, what are those priorities? What are those values? What are those priorities? Uh, you know, today uh, it's not uncommon for many people to multitask, but when they're in two different places, they're in neither place, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So, you know, be full and present now. So people who are the most productive, people think they are multitaskers, but actually that's untrue. They're just highly focused people that get things done very quickly and then move on to the next thing they get done effectively and efficiently as well. Right. Um, gosh, too many that I wanted to go through here. Is, um, I like this one from Marcel Proust, a 19th century writer, people know, rem- remembrance of things past, swan's way, so on. Um, saying, instead of seeking new landscapes, develop new eyes. Well, that's one of my favorites as well. And, and it really points to this idea of human beings have the ability to perceive. And we've all heard the phrase that perception is reality. And it may sound a little, uh, little corny, but if we could perceive things in multiple ways, we could create new realities. Now, uh, Abraham Lincoln once says, said, I don't like that man. I need to get to know them better. So he was willing to be open and receptive and try on and look for what was good and valuable instead of being just critical or judgmental. So having new eyes and seeing the possibility in people and things allows a lot more possibilities to emerge. Exactly. And I think it's it's, um, also, to me, it was saying, you know, there's new ways to solve existing problems. And, yeah, I see this sort of... an issue all the time with with salespeople is is that you know they are dealing with a prospect and they say, well, this prospect's just like this other one that I dealt with before. So this is this is how we're going to solve that person's problems, and then they'll be mystified as to why they lost the deal. And if they just open their eyes, as they said, you know, instead of seeing this as uh, you know, look at more as as with a fresh insight, fresh perspective, you know, change a paradigm of how they're viewing the world, then it opens up new vistas for them. Again, you're pointing to the incredible importance of relationships and the ability to connect and relate to people as a unique individual and be open and receptive to being a little bit surprised versus, you know, that phrase, the phrase, I know, it just means you stop listening. Mm-hmm. I know I know what you're going to say. I know what you're going to do. I know how you decide things. What if we didn't, though? What if we were more curious and explored and they could actually tell us? Right. Yeah, very interesting. All right. Uh, we could spend probably a whole another two episodes talking about <laughs> interesting quotes from that and what they mean. But now we move on to the last segment of the show, Barry, where I've got some standard questions I ask all my guests. And the first one's a hypothetical scenario. And in this, you've just been hired as the new VP of sales by a company whose sales have stalled out. The CEO is anxious to hit the reset button and get sales back on track. So what two steps could you take in your first week on the job that would have the biggest impact? Well, the, you know, if I'm somewhat new to the job, I think a critical component is get the lay of the land. So getting the lay of the land is to uh, interact and uh, explore conversations with all the stakeholders. So whether it's the sales team or just the employees in general or get the lay of land with our existing uh, customers or even our prospects, 
you know, what's working, what's not working, how are you being perceived, what value is being provided, you know, what are they thinking, and so on. So understanding that is very fundamental to our ability to move forward. The second thing is to, to determine the vision for the future of all these stakeholders, whether it's the employees or even the customers. You know, what does their problem look like? What does the solution look like? And are we relevant anymore in providing our product or services to fulfill that? And if not, we might be a little bit antiquated and we need to invigorate and uh, reinvent ourselves uh, to be relevant again. Okay. All right. Good answer. All right. So now I've got some rapid fire questions. You can give me one word answers or you can elaborate if you wish. So first one is when you, Barry, are out selling your services, what's your most powerful sales attribute? I think the most powerful attribute I have is simply uh, authenticity and being genuine. So if you have a, you know, it could be a sales role model or a business role model, who would that be? That's a good question. Uh, I, you know, I, I probably have to think about that. Uh, when I look at role models, I simply look at people who walk their talk and who have integrity, who have a level of sincerity, but also have a level of courage uh, to uh, you know, stand for uh, what's important and what's valuable for themselves. So uh, I don't think I can uh, give you a single person, but I can say you know, these people have integrity, they're honest, they're hardworking, they're open-minded, they're creative, they're respectful uh, and, and bold in their efforts. Uh, but, you know, it's like a composite of many people. Okay. That's fair. So, uh, other than your own book, what's one book that you'd recommend every business person should read? Wow. You know, you, you, I'm, a, I'm kind of a, a book addict. So, I have, uh, you know, lots and lots and lots of books. Uh, a book that I read just recently that I think is uh, really uh, provocative, it's called A More Beautiful Question. Mm -hmm. And I think that's very, very consistent with this idea of coaching and engaging people because it's through our questions that we explore where we are, where we're going, what's possible for us in our professional worlds and our personal worlds and so on. And I think uh, those questions are also tremendously impactful in our ability to innovate, create, and uh, move our world forward. So I like that very much. It's, uh, I think it's Warren Berger. Yes, it is Warren Berger, right. And it's actually almost near the top of my list to read as well. <laughs> so it's been recommended several times by people recently. All right, uh, last question for you. Uh, this always a tough one is, is what music's on your playlist these days? Mm -hmm. Are you actually talking about real music? Real music. You know, I, I tend to, uh, you know, I, I tend to be uh, a little bit more introverted than uh, many people think I am because I give talks and speeches. I'm out in the community. I network and things of that sort. Uh, but I tend to uh, like the work of Susan Cain, who wrote a book called Quiet. And that stands for the power of introverts in a world that can't stop talking. So the music that I listen to most on my XM Sirius radio mm -hmm. is uh, contemporary jazz. And that tends to be both a little pop, a little jazz, a little hip hop, but it's a smoother, a little bit more relaxing kind of music. And that kind of settle things down from uh, that helter-skelter busy world that we operate in. All right. Well, good answer. 
Well, Barry, thanks for joining me today. So tell folks how they can find out more about you. Well, I am more than happy to give people my phone number, which is 248-740-3231. You can Google me at just Barry Demp and see the various books and resources and workbooks and things. I would be honored if your listeners would consider going to thequotablecoach.com and signing up for free. And lastly, uh, if you really want to check me out, uh, you can connect with me on LinkedIn or just go to dempcoaching.com. Excellent. Well, great. Well, thanks again. And remember, friends, thank you for spending a part of your day listening to this show. And you can make the show a part of your daily routine every day to help you deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. And easy way to do that is take a minute and subscribe to this podcast, Accelerate, on iTunes or Google Play Music, wherever you listen. And that way you won't miss any of my conversations with top business experts like my guest today, Barry Demp, who shared his expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. So thanks for joining me. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guests, visit my website at andypaul.com.